Coming to you almost live from border control at all points of the compass. Welcome back to the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. I'm back. And I'm also Rob and back. And unlike Kim Jong-un, who just releases ineffective missiles to taunt the West, the BBC actually pressed the nuclear button and set a frenzy off in fandom. So welcome back to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. Uh, Mark. Hello. You've been away, haven't you? Welcome back. Thank you, Rob. Nice to be back. A bit cold, but it's a very good time to sort of come back and uh, strap on the microphone again, hasn't it, really? Yes. Enough about you. Let's move on to Rob. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to be back. If listeners hear very carefully, they'll, they'll hear uh, a bagpipes in the background, no doubt, and a, a sporran flying through the air. You're in, uh, you're in Bonnie, Scotland. Is that correct? I am. Well, I hope it's a spine. Otherwise, uh, I need to get in a, get a, a shot or something, a tetanus shot. Um, yes, I'm uh, like in the final leg of my uh, massive Northern Hemisphere tour that I've been doing since uh, May. So I've been uh, throughout the States. I've been up to Canada. And uh, now I'm finishing it off here in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, my second time. How's the uh, reception been, uh, Rob? It's been wonderful. I was, uh, I'm taking Who Me back again. So, so like I've take, I took a year off last year with Who Me to focus on uh, improvised puppetry and other type of projects. But, uh, you know, the call of the uh, overseas wild was getting to me. And so I was getting itchy feet. So I wanted to step away from you know, reality in Melbourne for, for a while. So, and, and it's sort of like just balloon from there so i applied and got into the uh tampa fringe festival i got into the orlando fringe festival which is the largest fringe festival in the united states then went up to canada to do their infamous um fringe circuit i did the ottawa fringe and the toronto fringe um and the reception's been good it's um it's really interesting to see how fandom is based in each of the the countries fandom in florida where i was for uh, tampa and um orlando was quite reserved the who fandom is quite reserved there so i did a lot of extra pushing just to sci-fi and comic book shops and you know sci-fi geeks in general and they were very supportive and there was a good vibe especially within Orlando for my show which I was really happy about because there's a big strong arts community there obviously because of um, uh, Universal Studios and, and, and Disney World so they have a lot of excited and young artists and performers who are trying to you know make a, a living through the arts but in Canada I was really really uh, happy with the reception and the support I got from the, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society of Canada in Ottawa and in Toronto and even ducked over to Montreal for a day to have a, a meeting with a certain Scottish gentleman. Just the Doctor Who fans ba- fan base in Canada was so, so great. They, they took me out to dinner on opening night in Ottawa. They showed me around. They spread the word on all their social medias. We had so many of their fandom show up all through uh, my seasons in Ottawa and uh, Toronto. And they looked after me when I ducked over to Montreal for a day to, to go meet Mr. David Tennant. So was that like Mordred Undead when both of you sort of touched together, there was an explosion? <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like for me it's been like nine or ten years of you know hard work and and you know this sort of like ground roots type of um level publicity of building this whole thing of like because i've been getting for so long i look like david Tennant every single day so i started i flipped that around and i use it as a publicity for my show if any fans meet david Tennant, to tell him he looks like rob lloyd and a lot of people over the last seven or eight years have actually gone up to him and and told him that so and even at this convention everyone was there on the saturday and the friday before and they were some of the doctor who fan club in canada were actually going up to him and 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 telling him that and he was very confused by it and so when 
when I arrived on the Sunday and explained to him that I do this Doctor Who show and at the end of it, because I kind of resemble him, I do this whole line and he just went, oh, now it makes sense. I understand now. I have no idea what everyone was doing. I went and saw David Tennant in Don Juan in London and uh, in the middle of the performance, I shouted out, you look like Rob Lloyd. <laughs> he wasn't too happy. Yeah, you can see the rest of the show either. It's a Real shame. Apparently, the second half was really good. <laughs> I heard great things about uh, Don Juan of Soho. And so, yeah, now I'm here in Edinburgh and then I'm off to London for a couple of days. And right now, at the moment, it's just electric. What with everything going on recently within the world of Who, everyone is talking about it. It's, you know, and when I was here back in 2013, everyone was talking about Doctor Who because it was the 50th birthday and Peter Capaldi was announced. And so now I'm back here again. And now it's back in the press. Everyone's talking about who I just mentioned, you know, I'm doing a show about Doctor Who. Everyone is just going, wow, it's in the news now. It's in the news now. So, um, yeah, it's a good time to be over here. So thank you, BBC, for helping me with my show. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and on that score, we should uh, segue nicely into a discussion about the announcement, shall we, fellas? Has there been an announcement, guys? I wasn't aware that there's been some announcement of any way, shape or form. Well, it was good of the Wimbledon Tennis Association to put on a tournament in uh, in anticipation of uh, Jody Whittaker. <laughs> Tell you what, I have never watched or been you know interested in a tennis match more in my life than I was uh, on that Sunday morning. For me, I was like double checking the scores and. Thank heavens that, you know, it's it's a shame that Roger Federer's opponent was injured and couldn't mm. perform to the best of his ability, obviously, but every Who fan around the world just went, thank heavens for a straight sets match, am I right? All right, well, on that score, let's talk about the announcement of Jodie Whittaker as, is it the 13th Doctor? Mark is just going through a mild heart attack, but yes, with, his, <laughs> with any type of canon numbering, he does go into involuntary spasms. That's more like anything to do with double digits, I uh, go into spasms. <laughs> All right then, chap. So um, let's talk about the announcement. Yeah, well, I want to hear from you guys. How did you guys find out? Because I was actually you know, awake and it was during the day, but you know, it was the middle of the night for you guys. So you would have woken up to the to the news of that, or did either of you stay up till three or four in the morning to find it out? I'm in the middle of trying to edit into shape a forty fifty thousand word novella, so I decided to stay up that night, uh, intending to go to bed at about midnight one o'clock. And then I thought, well, bugger this, because there were text messages flying around from various friends. Uh, in anticipation of what was about to happen, including Roger Federer's uh, blazing through that game. So I thought I'd stay up, and um, basically I found out through Twitter there was an announcement, I think from the BBC, saying that Jodie Whittaker was the uh, was the 13th Doctor. So in a sort of a, a, a fugue state of lack of sleep and happy for Roger and, and uh, you know, bashing this uh, this uh, first draft into some sort of shape, um, oh, that's how I found out. Yeah, the Twitter th- announcement was the actual video. So did you watch that, uh, that footage on your... On your laptop i watched it the next day and uh they, they did it quite well i think they um they they sort of managed to maintain some sort of mystery uh for, for most of the length though given the fact that they spent most of the length uh dis- disguising you know all features uh, i think it was pretty readily apparent that um it wasn't going to be a fella this time it was definitely a lady <laughs> how about you mark i actually like most normal people went to bed and then uh, I just woke up about, I don't know, four or five in the morning. And uh, I just quickly checked my phone, went onto the Doctor Who news page, actually, and it said uh, Jodie Whittaker is a doctor. And I was shocked for about a couple of seconds. And then I laughed. Not because the actual whole, I, the premise is ridiculous, because I thought, oh my God, this is actually going to break the internet. And uh, I was uh, proven right in that, uh, in that assumption. Well, it certainly broke some people on the internet. It did. And, you know, some of the usual suspects, you know, the outliers in fandom 
the most the more vociferous uh, outliers in fandom had their say, which is their right. I was uh, listening to an American uh, pop culture pod- podcast during the week, and they were talking about the announcement. And as the two hosts said, it, they're not they weren't quite sure whether it was the fact that they'd curated their Twitter feed to the point where all insanity was excluded, or it was actually a genuine outpouring of of, of, of welcome for Jodie Whittaker. But uh, it, it seems, other than you know a few dissenters, the idea of a female doctor uh, this time around has been embraced. It's been fascinating to see, and I've like had the benefit of having you know the reactions i've heard about the reactions in australia i've seen the reactions in canada um i've been now getting the reactions in the uk i mean i was it was a sunday morning for me i was just getting up i had a, the earliest my final show for toronto was the earliest one i had it was at 12 30 in the, the afternoon so i was up particularly early i was keeping an eye on the the scores i was running late to get to the venue so i had to take an uber while i was in the uber i was getting sent messages by people who were sending me links so i can actually watch the news article but there was no image it was only sound um so i was desperately trying i could all i heard was the announcement of jody whittaker um and I didn't really know what it was. And I was getting messages. It was Jodie Whittaker. I arrived at the venue. Um, I had to wait outside and I sat and I watched the video and I just, I, I just lost it. I was so excited because I was almost reserved to the fact I was resigned to the fact that, that I thought the BBC were going to play it safe. I thought the BBC was going to play it, you know, easy where they were going to go for something, you know, late thirties, you know, early forties, gawkish, awkward, pseudo sexy type of young white male just to keep things safe and keep things back to you know trying to boost these ratings back to a way that they haven't been in any strong form i was almost resigned to that fact because i'm there going this is the the time of people being scared and taking steps back in many ways but for this to happen i I just my pride in in this corporation that i thought didn't really understand their product actually started to work started to understand what this product needed what this show needed what the majority of the fans and and the wider community have been sort of like keyed into with at different levels of interest so i'm i you know and that's what i've said online i'm just so proud that they took this risk and that chibnall was daring enough to to step forward and go, I'll only take this show if I can, you know, make this big decision. And they went with him. And then the best part, I went in to do my show. I had, you know, a packed house of all Doctor Who fans. And they were, while I was backstage listening, I could see people on their phones and talking and chatting. And I could hear the soundtrack from, from the little reveal video being played. And so I just stepped out 10 minutes before my show and said, so we all know, right? And then we just started a conversation. I was there talking and chatting with all the fans and some people hadn't heard yet. So they heard the announcement amongst other Doctor Who fans. I did the show and I started even doing little tweaks at that moment to add in parts because now everything changes. And as Colin Baker says, pronouns are now very complicated, very tricky when it comes to the Doctor. So it was a wonderful way to get this idea out to the Who fandom. It was all supportive, all loving, all you know, hopeful, which has been great. And then, of course, after the show had finished and after I'd hung out with these wonderful supporters, then, you know, the online stuff started to come through. And the thing I've been most disappointed about has been, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, it is that the media coverage has been quite one-sided. It's very much a case of focusing on the fact that all male Doctor Who fans aren't happy. And I'm there going, well, that's not true. Um, mm-hmm. There are a small percentage of Who fans who are male who aren't happy and are, are crying and they've created the term bro flake. That's been going around, all that type of stuff. But there are a lot of lot of male fans, like like all ourselves, 
with different degrees of positive approaches to this revelation. And there's also quite a lot of female fans who are very unhappy as well. So, yeah, it's sort of like they just came in and said, yeah, Doctor Who male fans are all shit. And I'm going, and we th- I thought we'd all moved away from this. We'd all moved away from the fact that the Who community has evolved and grown and it's so many other different types. And then the media just barge in and just go, yeah, well, they're all the same. They're all, you know, lonely, fat, white guys who just can't accept change. And I'm going, again, that doesn't help what we've been trying to do for so long with the modern series is try and embrace all of who and all the people who come along. So, but there's, I think the majority of us are working together as opposed to railing against the dying of the light. I mean, the media and fandom uh, have two different agendas. I mean, we can see what the Daily Mail and, and, and the Sun did during the week by, um, you know, culling photos of uh, Whitaker, uh, you know, naked or topless at least from, from previous acting roles. I mean, they, they have a different agenda. They, they, they're trying to generate uh, clicks and, 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 uh, and, and advertising from that, whereas fandom has a, has a different thing to sort of uh, need to do. What did we think of, you know, the, 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 I think it was the Daily Mail Online and, and the Sun, uh, you know, posting those, those, uh, those photos. Is she fair game? Is something that anyone, you know, could argue or is it, is it beyond the pale? Jodie Whittaker is a professional actress and the work that she has done has been really powerful, really moving stuff. I mean, they were posting stuff from Venus and I went, oh, thanks Daily Mail. You just reminded me I need to go back and watch that film. It's brilliant. One of her first starring roles was working alongside Peter O'Toole and she owned that film with a legend of, of screen. And so they're going, cool, that's right. I'll go back and watch that film. Oh, she shows the boobies once. So what? Okay. There are many of the actors who have starred in Doctor Who have got their bits out as well. And I think that those images have been going around for ages. Some in a non-professional capacity. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you want a sexy shot, Daily Mail, get out Colin Baker's topless mo shot. But you know, I'm not surprised by the Daily Mail and their low standards. But as I was saying, Jodie Whittaker is a professional actress. She has worked hard on her career and all that type of stuff is she's not embarrassed by it she's proud of her work and the work was there for it wasn't exploitive or anything like that she was you know it was for the roles and you know and so i she isn't ashamed by it we as fans or fans of her work aren't ashamed of it but we're ashamed of you know these people going purely just for the titillation and just for you know for the scoop of going this is what we can do you know it's the type of stuff that we in australia we've got you know people and we used to have people in picture magazine they did that all the time and daily mail is no better than those dirty girly mags you can get from the news agents back in the day that's what they've become they're not a news publication they're not any type of meat they're just a dirty magazine that you know you're embarrassed to buy when you're you know a teenager in the 90s and don't read the comments either on the uh, daily fails pages about this story either because really i mean it's just howling at the moon most of it. look I, I think there's a cohort of people on the internet who Know, who, who may not have a particular interest in a topic like, you know, uh, Doctor Who, but who use decisions of shows or media like that to advance their own particular agendas. So, I mean, they would have been at the forefront of the, you know, female Ghostbusters battle a year and a half ago. They're, they're here now railing against uh, the, you know, the changes to the world you know, through, the, through the prism of Doctor Who. Next week, it'll be something else that involves, you know, females or, or members of the uh, you know the gay and, and transgender community so they're just there they're, they've got their own little poisonous corner of the internet and they're just launching you know sallies and uh, every opportunity they get but they can be justifiably and justly ignored for the most part don't you think i think so definitely especially i was, talk, I was talking to a mate of mine here des o'gorman who's a huge ghostbusters fan and he was caught up in all the rigmarole that was happening with the ghostbusters stuff last year and the year before i asked him directly i said how does it compare i mean you uh, you know, as a Ghostbusters fan, lived through the furor of so many male 
Ghostbusters fan hating against this film even before it came out just because of a female cast. And now you're doing it again because you're a Doctor Who fan. How does it compare? How does this hatred now compare to that? And he goes, the hatred now for the Doctor Who stuff is minute compared mm. to the amount of hate that the, the, the Ghostbusters film had to put up with. So everyone's focusing on that negative, easy, cheap read. But the truth of the matter is, and I think BBC released it as well, you know, or the Radio Times released an official complaint register that they had, and only 15% of people, if that, were complaining about it. You know, the majority of Who fandom and the broader community are excited, are looking forward to this bold new step that it's going to take the show. You know, a lot of people compare, they go, okay, when Capaldi was first cast, they went, okay, he's going to be a little bit one and maybe a little bit three. When Matt Smith was cast, they went, okay, he's gone a bit two. And But with that, let's, you know, we have no idea now. We have no idea where Whitaker's going to go, you know. And the BBC was saying she impressed, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She came in prepared for her audition. This wasn't just a flash in the pan, came in, she did her work. She knew how big the role was and she respected that. And so if she has respected the sun and the gravity of the role, we should respect her for respecting the role we love so much the same way that we do. Even more so, because she's there going, not only do I love this role, I want to play this role this way and to show this respect. It's a, a bold move and it's a you know bold move from Chibnall. It's a bold move from Whitaker because I don't know if you guys heard, they were talking to each other on the set of Broadchurch or something like that and she started like trying to go, well, if you're looking for a villain, I'd love to pop in to play a villain when you take <laughs> over. And then Chibnall started asking her questions and she's going, wait a minute, what's this? And then he just came out and said, would you like to audition? And then she just went, oh my God, the hope is there. The positivity is there. And, you know, if two old, you know, heartless bastards like yourself can get behind it, then, you know, why can't everybody else, eh? Exactly. In terms of the audition process, do we know that uh, they saw other female actors or was it, you know, if it was a mixed call? Like, did they actually go in and say the 13th Doctor is going to be a woman this time? Or did, well, let's just mix it up a bit, see both genders and see what, what comes out. Do we know that? Not sure. We're not sure. All we know is that Chibnall definitely wanted a woman. Um, but we don't know how the auditions went. We don't know if there was, you know, a mixed bag of all different, you know, of, you know, male, female, um, even those who don't identify as, you know, male, female, or if we had different races as well. We haven't heard that yet. All we've heard is that Chibnall knew what he wanted. Um, we knew that, you know, BBC execs and Chibnall were impressed with what Whitaker brought. And, yeah, so that hopefully that will come out later. But, you know, it doesn't really come out much you know we all have our bets and, our, and there's the front runners that come up and stuff like that but we don't really know which other people audition like we found out when Eccleston got the role we found out later that you know Eddie Izzard I think auditioned I think we heard Bill Nighy was asked but I don't know if he auditioned Hugh Grant was asked so yeah, yeah but we didn't we didn't find out if anyone you know others who auditioned when Tennant got it or when Matt Smith got it I think we know oh Patterson Joseph did audition at some point he's come out to say that but yeah not many of the actors who have auditioned come out and said, yeah, I auditioned for the role. So it'd be very interesting to find out whether they do reveal that information or they just go, let's move forward. It may be that we won't know for some, some time if there are any other auditionees, simply because they may feel it's churlish to sort of crowd in on, on, on Whittaker's, um, you know, an, an announcement and uh, just to let her have that space to, uh, to be embraced without other people going, well, he could have been better than her. Why didn't you go down that way? So now famously, I actually called this late last year in, uh, in, a, in our Christmas party. 
uh, episode where I said that if Chibnall wants to make a real splash, he will go for a female lead. The announcement of a woman in the role simply because the BBC recognises the show of late has been flagging in terms of its ratings and its its uh, its uh, you know coverage in the media. Or is this a natural progression for the show? Or am I being too reductive in my own particular way? Probably a bit of both. My view is if they went for a tenant style actor again yes it might get the ratings up uh, and you might get the younger audience back but the issue will be when that person leaves what are they going to do replace with another young actor another young male actor unfortunately we've seen there has been a slight resistance towards capaldi and his age so my view is that well if we keep going the, the young actor road nothing's going to change this to me is the logical extension of a shaking it up a bit but also a logical progression of the character. We've seen it for the last couple of years, Time Lords changing genders and, and things like that. I think the time is right to do something like this now. Yes, to shake it up a bit as well. But let's just try something different. I mean, the show in modern TV terms is 10 years old. That's a long time. If you just keep going down the same path, it's more of the same. I'm willing to give it a go, and I'm definitely not going to write it off because of the casting decision. Christ, I'm accepting this situation more than what I ever have been with the War Doctor, and we all know about that, don't we? We all know this. You know, the the show has survived for 54 years because of change. I mean, you look at how radical it changed after three years with Hartnell for Trout. You know, it stayed black and white, but the entire genre changed from educational, you know, family um, unit type of, you know, educational adventures through through history and also some, you know, surreal sci-fi elements and then it completely changed the entire genre subgenre it changed when Troughton stepped on board it became monster of the week the base under siege thing took over the main thrust of it it was a completely different show even though it had the TARDIS it had the doctor it had traveling through time and space but the entire genre changed and then it nearly flagged it nearly died in the you know in 69 you know poor old um you know, the audience was retired. It had been running six years and tired of the same thing, you know, and a little bit change. And so they needed a complete shake-up. And so what they do, they bring in, not only do they bring in the, you know, the colour, but a whole new format of it, you know. Uh, John Pertwee's format of, of Doctor Who was unlike any other, even before, you know, before and definitely after. The show has only survived because it has radical changes of style. Tom Baker had three different genres in his entire seven-year history of Doctor Who, three completely different genres, from gothic horror to space opera to hardcore, you know, Christopher H. Bidmead sci-fi, you know, with all the comedy and all the fun, you know, seeped out. And so that's what we've had for the last, for all of, you know, Tennant and Eccleston's era was very similar in style. It was Russell T. Day, T. Davies, soap opera, weekly investment. You didn't, you could miss an episode here or there, but you'd be fine all the way through. Moffat comes in and really shapes things up with time travel, timey-wimey problems and issues, and you needed to watch the entire series to keep in touch, even more so with Capaldi. Capaldi, And, and you're talking about, you know, Capaldi, there's been a lot of resistance to Capaldi and his age, but it's also been weariness of Moffat as a writer, as a head writer from the fans, and also the format of the show. It's become very dark, very adult, a lot of the stories have been very mature, very dark, very hardcore sci-fi elements, which I love, adore, because I'm 39 years old. 
but those you know those regular audiences, that mainstream audience who who adored the Eccleston Tennant era, could come in at any point they wanted, have faded away because they're going. This is too much. This is and also the timing they pushed it on later on the BBC. So all these issues have added up. It's been a lot more mature, a lot more darker, a lot more mature. Capaldi has brought an intensity and an immaturity, you know, to the role, and even his Series Eight darker side of the role pushed a lot of people away and that was all connected with the show in general so now with chibnall we get everything fresh we're gonna have a whole completely new reboot remember when the 11th hour came everything was different new titles new format of the show new doctor new companions everything was fresh 11th hour was nothing like anything we'd seen before with with david Tennant, and so that's going to happen here. Chibnall is, you know, a powerhouse writer. He has done three years of the most successful mainstream drama series on British TV in ages. People talk about the dips and flows, like season two wasn't as strong as season one, but season three has picked up. But still, it is consistently one of the most highest rating shows in the UK and overseas that has been around in a long time. You know, it's up there with Downton Abbey and other, you know, other shows like that. And so he, he not only is he a good showrunner, he has proved himself as someone who can draw audiences in. He knows how to get that mainstream audience through. And he knows how to write for Doctor Who. He's proven that with his with his with his stories. So we're gonna see a complete change of format. You know, I'm thinking they're gonna go more to a you know, a lighter, adventurous style thing, a week to week adventure style thing to really, you know, because he does that quite well with with dinosaurs on the spaceship and you know power of three he has that ability to bring in a lot of characters a lot of life a lot of energy power through and bring a you know a different approach because i've loved capaldi's era which have been slow burning serious methodical you know expressions of dark science fiction and deep science fiction theories while bringing in the light and joy of nardole and bill who's a revelation now it's time to rejig the whole show even from you know colin baker to the yeah, even Sylvester McCoy, his his first year is completely different to his last two years. Who has only survived because of its ability to adapt and shift other genres? Sci-fi is its baseline genre, and then it steals from every other genre. And that's what it's going to do. It's going to be a completely new genre, a completely new show, and that's where we springboard now because that's what it needs. That's how it survived for 54 years, and we're at that time now. We've been so used to, you know, you know, what, the seven or eight years of Moffat's era, bang, we are now in the Chibnall era where it's a completely new show, but it's our show. And and on that score, a lot now, uh, re- a lot of weight or responsibility rests on the shoulders of Chibnall and Whitaker uh, as as their, their era dawns later next year. Uh, we all, I think, it's 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 common to say now that uh, the very first episode uh, of their era. For, for novelty factor alone, I suppose, will rate very well. It's a question of uh, what the audience then does uh, subsequent to that. What do we all think, look, it, and it's a hard question to, to answer, I suppose, but what do we all think that Chibnall and Whittaker need to bring uh, to the series to ensure that the audience stays? I mean, Rob, your comment there that you you anticipate perhaps a lighter, more adventurous uh, approach to the series, you know, and, and leaving what is undeniably a very, very dark tone uh, that Series 10 embraced. Um, do we think that that sort of more lighter approach, more populist approach even, uh, a la the RTD era, is the way to go now? 
what set the Matt Smith era apart was this almost fairy tale approach to to Doctor Who. You know, in the American series, they even opened every episode with a voiceover from Amy Pond going, "When I was a little girl, I had an imaginary friend who was, you know, who would take me away, and then that happened." So that first, that even that whole Matt Smith era was kind of like this fairy tale sci-fi approach, and so. Like I said, this is going to have to be a new approach and a lot because a lot of criticism was about the writers and a lot of feedback I got from modern fans were going, look, we love Capaldi, but he just doesn't, he doesn't have the writers or the writing to, to support him. Even though like I, for me, I know you guys thoughts about season nine, but for me, season nine and season 10 were some of the most consistent and well-written Doctor Who stories of the modern era, especially season 10. Season 10 is right up there with like my yardstick you know, the Eccleston era, which was a consistently solid first year and a consistently solid season nonstop. So that's, you know, not only is it all on Whitaker, it's also on Chibnall and who he brings in, who's his writing staff, who's he going to bring in and what's his vision going to be. Like I said, I'm hoping for, you know, you know, we can't go back to the Russell T Davis era, but we can have a, you know, a popular approach to Doctor and I think the adventure side of that, you know, arriving on a planet and finding the adventure and the thrills as opposed to the dark menace. You can have the scare, but let's bring that adventure fun side back. What about you, Mark? The writing needs to support her um, big yes. time. Like if they write it, say, like a Romana 2 slash Mulder type of character, um, I think it will work. Basically, don't write it like Moffat would. Don't write yeah, it like that's... a River Song. Don't write it like an Amy Pond. Don't write it like a Clara or even to some extent a Missy. In a sense, it is a good thing that Moffat has, is about to depart the scene because unfortunately I think that if Moffat had, would, had been the one to introduce uh, Whitaker, it, we would just get a retread of, of, um, of River Song, unfortunately. Yeah. A, a quip machine, a quote machine, someone full of sass and brass who might not necessarily meet the tone that's required. But I think now with Chibnall, where, as you've been been saying, we're, we're definitely going to be getting a different, a completely different approach to Moffat. And we all know Chibnall. We all have uh, aware of Moffat's quite limited way of writing women. They're all quite very similar. They're sassy. They're very sexually aggressive. They're very you know confident, and that gets a bit tiring. They're quote machines. That's why Bill was such a breath of fresh air. That she was some you know she was performed brilliantly by Pearl Mac- Mackey, but it was a a different character. We finally saw that Stephen Moffat could write more than just one female character. But even Chibnall was very good. I've just been rewatching his two episodes of the uh, Matt Smith era, and Amy is written a lot better with Chibnall than he is with Mo- than she is with Moffat because Chibnall doesn't play her, doesn't write her as Moffat does. Moffat writes her as she's a sexual vision, she's a sass machine, whereas you actually see. <laughs> Chibnall writer as a character and he does, mm. he writes beautiful beautiful characters the well-rounded characters he brings in Broadchurch is a is is a, is a testament to that um and he made Amy who was quite a difficult character to get into quite beautiful like in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship she's solving problems she's you know concerned with the doctor she's you know um she's cheeky with uh, Brian which is awesome she's not sassy she's cheeky she has to deal with um uh Riddell and Nefertiti flirting so she's I'm there going wow wasn't she like why wasn't she like this for the entire Matt Smith era I would have loved to have that Amy and especially and dealing with um uh Power of Three she's you know 
coming to terms with the fact that she's finally settled on a job she likes. You know, her and Rory communicate beautifully. There's, you know, and they've got this great interplay and it's not all just, I'm a sassy hot one and you're the dorky one. And so that's what Chibnall's going to do. He's got to, he's going to bring in people. He's got a, a good vision. He's going to take on board what Whitaker's brought on board. That's what was really exciting about the audition. They all said what she brought to the role was something we hadn't seen. So for a head writer to go, ooh, okay, I wasn't thinking that. That's going to springboard as well. So the two of them can, in many ways, work together. And that's what the best performances come out of. You know, Matt Smith, everyone completely changed the way they shot Doctor Who because most of the crew who were worked on the Tenant era carried on over into the Matt Smith era. And a lot of them were used to Tenant's era who showed up, knew his lines, knew his positions, knew his best angles, and knew everything. And so they just shot him the exact same way, and he would, they were used to that. Matt Smith comes in and he does different takes, different angles. He moves around differently. He had a whole different approach to it. And everyone's going, we don't know how to shoot him. And they tried to confine him to the old way that David Tennant was. And then I think it was Moffat or one of the directors or someone said, no, no, no. We shift the show to him. He's our lead. Let him go. Let him play. And you see later on in his first season, especially in season his second and third, they adjusted the show, how they shot, even how they, you know, set up camera angles and stuff to let his performance come out. And the same with, with Capaldi. He let the lead, because Doctor Who is about that person. They are in every every single scene. They are the lead character. They are the hero. They solve every single problem. And so that's what they're going to have to do with Whittaker. They go, this is how she wants it. This is how she plays it. They'll adjust the show around her so that she can rise and shine and, and lead this thing. And she's got the ability to lead it. Just give her the material where it's not, hey, I'm the Doctor. Oh, I'm a woman now. Don't yeah. mention it. Just don't even don't even go there. Just write it as a character. I mean, that's the thing with yeah. Bill. It's like, oh, you know, I like women, right? And all that sort of stuff. It's like, well, we know from the first episode, don't need to sort of keep feeding it in. Don't need constant reminders. We're actually a lot cleverer than that. So don't even highlight it. Just give her the material that to make it work. And, you know, and for God's sakes leave the continuity alone for the next two or three years i think that would be good you know? moffat was especially by the end of his time throwing as much continuity and references as he could with the tenant era and the and the eccleston era they played back they played it back and you got little morsels you know every six or seven episodes or once a season for some point you get a glimpse or stuff like that yeah we're ready for that i mean when it comes to to bill i was the references were only there when they needed to and actually showed beautiful ways of educating people like in knock knock when the guy tries to hit on her and he goes no actually i like women and the guy's response was a beautiful thing for you know men to see he just went oh so i wasn't in with a chance oh that's fine that's great okay as opposed to getting angry or aggressive or any or disgust I thought that was very important. It wasn't harped on. It was there just to keep on going with showing this is how we want people to respond and people to react to one another. So, yeah, writing's going to be very important. I mean, part of me is going to be is a little bit excited to see, okay, like what we saw in Thin Ice, okay? The Doctor's there with Bill and Bill's there going, um, okay, I'm in a Victorian era. I can't walk around because I'm, you know, I'm black. And he's there going, oh, it'll be fine. And then, of course, when the the evil villain comes in and starts having a go at Bill, even though the doctor's going, just stay calm, I'll take care of everything, I'll be, you know, headed, and then, of course, punches the bad guy, okay, which is great, it's a beautiful moment to see a white guy, you know, punch another white guy for being a racist, but wouldn't it be cool to see the doctor, you know, in, in, in woman form, stuck in, you know, the suffragettes era, where women have no power at all, and then there is this 
incredibly important, powerful, knowledgeable creature from, you know, a different galaxy and a different universe and different time zone, you know, trying to convince these people to save the world from monsters or aliens, but also having to deal with this petty, you know, view of that the women should stay in the home. That type of stuff is how you can, like Doctor Who does, deal with, you know, issues, social issues and contemporary issues, and also deal with, you know, big scary monsters. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating concept. You're not going to do it every single week, but, you know, just to touch on it, it's too much of a beautiful opportunity not to pass up. And speaking of Series 10, well, my Rob, I think we can break the embargo. <laughs> I think we can, Mark, yes. at long last. At long last. Look, we're not going to sit here and review every episode. Uh, there's plenty of other podcasts who did that. I think we can sort of give our high-level thoughts on the series in general. And, Rob, uh, you can definitely join in as well. So, uh, my Rob, take it away. So, my overall thoughts of Series 10, I mentioned before that uh, it, it, it got very dark. And, it, and, and towards the end of the series, it did get very dark, um, which Rob being 39 appreciated and me being in my mid-40s appreciated even more even though I'm happy to acknowledge that it is a real dead end in terms of storytelling I mean given that it's it's meant to be family drama there's only so far you can go and I think turning the uh, turning the female companion into a Cyberman uh, is about as far as you can go in terms of body horror at an at a 8.30 or 8 o'clock slot my feelings overall with the series I enjoyed it I, I, I know that uh, there was talk at the start that there was sort of going to be a different approach and, and Pearl Mackie certainly did change the dynamic a great deal up until the the, the three-part monks uh, episodes i enjoyed the stories for what they were i, I tend to tend now to think that the plotting on that on those stories was a little bit thin but nonetheless um it made a that they made a sort of a welcome break from where i thought series nine might have fallen down a little bit uh the three monks episodes unfortunately uh started bad and only got worse in my opinion the, the monks uh rationale and motivation seemed to change from episode to episode which given that there were three different writers is not surprising though i would have thought that with moffat having the whip hand surely there could have been some sort of uniformity into what was going on by the end of it i'd lost complete interest uh, but then the back end of series but the back end of series 10 i really enjoyed and look yes um uh, the the final two episodes were were, were really dark i mean you just step back and look at the, at the final episode uh, the master is dying missy is is dead with no hope of redemption or dying with no hope of redemption uh, the doctor doesn't know of Missy's sort of sacrifice. Uh, Nardol is sent off to a sort of un uncertain future. Bill turns into a uh, uh, a spot of engine oil herself and, and, and vanishes off with the doctor thinking that she's dead. And the doctor is sort of left alone and desperate on a snowy, uh, uh, you know, landscape. No one knows anything about anyone else, and it's just a sort of miscommunication of 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 their uh, of their futures. So. A very dark indeed, but I, I liked, I really enjoyed the last, the last couple of episodes, especially I think it was episode eleven. Uh, even though I knew that John Sims was back, and I was sort of looking through the, the, the prosthetic makeup to see the, uh, to see him beneath um, that character's makeup there, I thought Moffat really pulled, pulled it out uh, of the fire there, and, and did a wonderful job, and, and thankfully he did because uh, typically his, his, his end of season episodes are a, you know, a blancmange of you know disgracefulness in my opinion. And most of our TDs were as well. Mark, what did you think? Like you, I thought it was a vast improvement over, in my opinion, the lacklustre Series 9. Isn't that right, Rob Lloyd? It made me realise what, what a drag Clara was on Series 9 and the show. And I think the soft reboot that they did on Series 10, I wish it happened a year before to give Capaldi that, uh, I suppose, that clear runway to really show what he could do. Look, I'll be honest with you, I was really hesitant about watching episode one but after my experiences with the last, with last years. 
and to the point where it was like two or three days later I was getting messages and texts off people saying have you watched it yet I said no I'm watching Better Call Saul I'm okay for the moment so really I had to sort of drag myself with a bottle of wine and I said if I'm going to sit here and watch it I'm going to grab you know my wife and uh, my son to sit down and watch it and for the first time in ages I really enjoyed it I thought that was actually quite a lot of fun look I did find some a lot of the continuity fan rank references in episode one uh, quite distracting that was mainly me that was my fault really because I'm a fan uh, wife and uh, son didn't pick it up but that first run of five episodes like you Rob I, I really enjoyed them I thought oh watch a fun engaging story every week and for the first time in ages I felt like I was actually excited to watch it and then like a smoker who was uh, started to give up the ciggies uh, Moffat finds a packet of cigarettes on the floor then quickly falls back into old habits with that Monk trilogy which has to be the most uh, the three of the most uninspiring stories with the most uh, ineffective villains since the Monoids and I felt really quite sad because all that goodwill in those first five um, episodes sort of being thrown away out the window you can't tell me that Toby Whithouse would have been happy writing a story like that given that uh, shopping list of ingredients he had to put up with look I was really put off by Exodus and I didn't watch the follow ups for two or three weeks afterwards mainly because I was travelling anyway but for the monks at the end of it just to get in their car and go home just like Rassilon did in uh, uh, Heaven Sent just, I just thought what a waste after those three episodes I thought the Gatta story was fine uh, The Eaters of Light had an interesting premise but it was a bit flat in terms of the direction and, and, and some of the story but uh, I was really impressed with uh, the world enough and time I thought John Sin was excellent uh, he was playing the master like I think he wanted to play it in the RTD era. Uh, Missy was even tolerable. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Uh, Cyber Bill, I thought, wow, <laughs> they've gone there. But of course, you sort of knew in the back of your mind that it would all be, it wouldn't last forever, would it? And even the Doctor Falls, I thought, was was pretty good as well. You know, at the end of it, you see, I thought, oh, God, we got more fan rank. You know, Cavaldi is now meeting Billy 3.0. We're going to have the irritating girl back in the Christmas special. I mean, for the last story, give him the room to breathe and give him a really good exit by himself and not have these extra ingredients in there, especially with Billy 3.0. I don't know, understand why, but I, I, I think I know where they're going with it you know, to help him with the change. Why go back to the continuity well? Why this incessant navel-gazing? I think, Mark, that Moffat is probably looking for the emotional hook for, for that particular episode. It's, I think it's going to be very much a swan song for Capaldi. And uh, I think with, without that, that hook of the Doctor inexplicably not wanting to go, Moffat might struggle to actually come up with something that's engaging. So... Whilst you know you you, you lament it, the the fact that they're they're going down that path, and and possibly even shoehorning the same thing in with with the first Doctor, you know not wanting to go either, um, perhaps uh, you know Moffat might be sort of find himself adrift. So you know I think we, I think it's just something that we have to expect uh, accept uh, these days. So does the general public know how the first Doctor changed? No. And why would they? Why would they care? So they're going to show the Tenth Planet Part Four animation half an hour before the Christmas episode, are they? <laughs> What's the point? Hey, hey, don't don't turn your guns on me, Mark. All right, just aim it at Moffat. All right, leave I'm, me out of it. I've only had one cup of coffee this morning. I'm, I'm only... just a Doctor Who fan ranting in a room at the far end of the world about Doctor Who. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just uh, channeling a lot of the bile on Twitter at the moment. Still, uh, not my Doctor as a, as a popular hashtag. Apparently, we do that in inverted commas, Mark. Popular. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely right. But look, my overall impression of Series Ten was a vast improvement. Yeah, and uh, I, I, like Bill was great. Uh, Pearl Mackey did a fantastic job. Nardole, look, he was fine, but again, I don't know why he was brought in. Was he supposedly brought in to bump up the ratings? Because obviously it didn't work. Look, when I was there, the last thing I wanted to do was actually sit down and sat down and watch Doctor Who. Uh, the weather was great, so I was out doing 
social things. So I'm not surprised the ratings, the overnights tank. For me, it was, yeah, like the most consistent it's been, the show's been in a long time. Pearl Mackey is an incredibly you know, dynamic performer and so charismatic and charming. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, and I kind of saw this, her, her writing was in many ways kind of the same as, you know, Clara's or, or Amy's. It was kind of, you know, bold and sassy and stuff like that. But the way that Mackie delivers it was something unlike uh, Jenna Coleman or Karen Gillan would deliver. She has incredible range and an understanding of the character to hit it at a different level, to hit a different emotion, to be vulnerable, to be defensive, to be supportive. She, you know, she was a joy to watch and a fascinating view of, you know, how uh, someone who f- travels with the Doctor um, reacts to situations. And of course, she's, you know, she not only matched uh, Peter Capaldi, but, you know, was, you know, was an equal, you know, equal uh, sparring partner with him. Um, I don't think Matt Lucas is much of a ratings uh, draw card anymore. I think he was brought in purely for Moffat. Moffat was allowed to do whatever he wanted this season. And so he, he, he explored stuff that he wanted to. Bringing in a third companion was really good for me because that's my favorite format of the TARDIS. I get sick of just the Doctor and one companion. And just the interplay to have someone who was there who wasn't just, you know, someone from a housing estate or someone from, you know, a regular family. What we love about the classic Doctor Who is you'd have Leela of the Severteen or you'd have Jamie McCriven from, you know, the Highland the Highlands of Scotland, or you'd have Victoria Waterfield from the Victorian era. That's what we loved. We liked seeing not just, you know, or, or Romana, for heaven's sake, you know, an actual Time Lord herself. So it was great to actually have a companion who wasn't just from, you know, somewhere familiar. We did, you know, Nardole's background was unusual and weird, and so how he related to monsters and situations it was fascinating to see, you know, where other people would scream, he would, you know, go, oh, that's nice, or where other people would laugh, he would be terrified. That's what we like to see about Doctor Who, different approaches. And just how all three of them interacted was absolutely beautiful. They all worked magnificently together as a team. As It was a bold move to do a, a secret three-part story halfway through, especially when the first half of that, the first section of that era was so powerful. You had Thin Ice, which was incredible. You had Knock Knock, which was incredibly strong. And then you had Oxygen, which is one of the most entertaining and most you know heart pounding episodes of the modern era and then to knock that down to the the slow game of the three-parter was very challenging but then you know mark gators wrote a good story and actually a fascinating story you know the the ice warriors were done well um i you know mark gators stories don't age well they're not like good wines they kind of you know go bad very quickly once you go back and for multiple viewings but i think you know, Empress of Mars could do quite well. Um, it was great to have Rona Monroe back writing for Doctor Who. And even though it may not have been the most, you know, memorable of stories, there were some beautiful moments in there. And I think that'll be a, a sleeper of a story to to carry us through. Uh, it was great having Sims back. And he, you know, like you said, played the role like, you know, we all wanted him to as opposed to just frenetic energy. He worked beautifully with um, Michelle Gomez. And the relationship between Michelle Gomez and Peter Capaldi's Doctor was just magnificent, a slow burn that just played all the way through. And the reigns that she did, like the the master trying to actually repent, but then not, you know, confused by the feelings and crying for the first time and not understanding what that means was great, great work to see. 
Um, yeah, I was very happy with all of season 10. When it comes to finales and endings, it was big and bold and strong. And to do, you know, a genesis of the Cybermen story to, with the Mondasians, there's some creepy stuff in there, like, you know, having to turn off them saying pain or they they hurt or they want to die. Gosh, that was creepy. Very scary. Did Big Finish get a uh, thank you acknowledgement on that? And also David Banks' cyber book? Because <laughs> they had Genesis of the Cybermen in there and, you know, he leveraged obviously lots of uh, spare parts. Of course, yeah. I think, yeah, even more so than, um, than uh, you know, the Cybermen two-parter in the David Tennant era. We all remember when, you know, okay, so Talons of Wang Chiang was the big send-off for Hinchcliffe and robert holmes and so they did everything they threw everything that was their era into that all the money all the budget all the darkness all the comedy all the you know all the costumes they they blew the budget and they just you know did everything that was quintessentially their era for their swan song a huge success which is you know a a fan favorite but then you look at you know, Sharda would have been the end of the Williams and um, Adam. Douglas Adam, and that would have been a representation of their era as well, but that didn't work out. You look at End of Time, which is one of the worst finales ever, but it's everything <laughs> that this era was. It was everything in there. Everything that they that their last four years was about, they threw it all in there because this is going to be the last time you see us. And some of the fans will go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss this so much. I don't want to go. They didn't want him to go. Or fans who didn't like that era go, yep, this is why I'm not going to miss it at all. Okay. Um, And so this is what's going to be, you know, the end of time, which was Matt Smith era, was a mess because, you know, they needed, you know, because he left too soon and he was leaving early and they couldn't, you know, get all the exposition in there that they needed, even though they tried. So this is going to be, this is Stephen Moffat going, this is my last story. I'm going to do everything that was my era. So there's going to be continuity references. There's going to be time jumps. There's going to be Clara in there. Cause you know, that, that story of, you know, Capaldi not remembering, you know, his companion is a horrifyingly sad, uh, you know, jam on the whole, you know, Alzheimer's and stuff like that, which is, which is, you know, rips you apart. So they're going to throw everything in there so that fans of the era will go, oh, I'm going to miss this. And people like your good selves are going to go, yep, don't let the, uh, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. When I was watching Capaldi go through his pseudo regeneration, it just really hit me that although I'm excited for Jodie Whittaker, I'm really going to miss him. He's easily in the top three greatest actors ever to play the role. And so that, and now, you know, he's taken his time to really find his role. And a lot of people have gone, oh, if only he'd been like this all the way through him going none of the doctors are you know like everyone says let's just treat Jodie Whittaker like every other actor who's played the doctor we hate them for the first six months or first year and then you know we love them but uh but yeah so he he's just he's shown his his skill his commitment his diversity his variety his charm his love for the show through the entire thing and it's elevated it it's really picked it up again and, um, you know, we've been very honoured and lucky to have an actor of Peter Capaldi's standard. It, in many ways, come and play in our, you know, very, very small, you know, sandbox for a couple of years. I love on his last day, uh, instead of going to the pub like normal people would, he uh, walked over to the Doctor Who experience and is handing out cakes and saying goodbye to yep. the, the fans. So, of course, on the day, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> That was planned. They're going at the Smiths in yet? No, they've just left. Now, before we we leave, gentlemen, I just want to throw one thing at you. Are we optimistic for the future, full of confidence, or is there a certain amount of hesitation uh, as to the change that is inevitably coming to the series? 
Mark? A bit of both. I'm excited to see what they do with it. There is a bit of hesitation in can they pull it off. I've got every confidence as an actor, Jodie can do it. My slight concern is about the, the material she's going to be given. But at the end of the day, I'm definitely willing to, to give this a shot. You know, Doctor Who is all about change and acceptance and tolerance. And I think let's just give it a go. If you're expecting me and Rob, well, my Rob, to rage about this, I'm going to speak for you as well, my Rob. Uh, we're too old to rage about things like this. There's other more important things in life to worry about. They have to do something different, and I think this is... I mean, I'm not going to sit there at first episode and go, that was awful. But Doctor Who, for the good times and the bad, no matter how much I criticise it sometimes, I will watch it. That's the thing. Unlike, unlike Star Trek or Star Wars or any other franchise that had, you know, or Babylon 5 or whatever, that had one person's vision of the show that they structured everything out and then other people came in after and followed that mentality and went off on little tangents... Doctor Who was created by committee. It was com- created by a number of different people. And then every person who came into that show brought their own ideas. And the, the continuity and the canon grew as the shoot- show grew. We didn't find out the name of his people until six years in. We didn't find out the name of his planet until 11 years in. This is a show that has grown because people go, oh, have we named that? No, okay, let's do that now. The concept of, you know, the Time Lords changed. People railed against the Deadly Assassin because they went, hang on, the Time Lords have gone from being omnipotent beings to being corrupt and old, and, and, and people railed against that. But now that is seen as canon with the costumes. In that episode, they brought in the idea of the 12 regenerations. That had never been mentioned before, and that became canon. So it's a case of, it's only in the modern series that we did the, you know, <laughs> in the telly movie, the Doctor's half human, and was probably you know, forgotten, <laughs> and it has never been mentioned again. No. Um, uh, but in in and in the modern series, they have mentioned not only you know can he change color, he he can you know, his race can change sex as well. No matter what point it's come in the continuity, that's how Doctor Who works, and it's tricky to keep up with it. Sometimes you know sometimes. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the explanation works. Sometimes you have to go, eh, that's a bit of a stretch. But that's why Doctor Who's tricky. We can't just go, this is canon, this is the only way it is. I'm going, I'm sorry, it, there's no set rules. It's wibbly-wobbly when it comes to Doctor Who you know, canon. Wibbly-wobbly and canony one any. So um, it's a, yeah. You talk about the hashtag, not my doctor. A one that's going around more is I'm with her. Hashtag I'm with her. That's... I'm on that hashtag, and I'm, I'm glad to see you boys are, and I know the majority of Who fans are. It's a time of hope. It's a time of bold, big blue sky ideas, and it's time to, to step forward. And like a lot of people said, it's been a long time coming because this you know this idea was thrown around when Tom Baker left. That's right. Was, you know, yeah, news articles can be found. It was talked about and never said. Sidney Newman was almost brought back in to save Doctor Who. I do it with commas when... Uh, uh, when Colin oh, Baker was leaving. Yeah. Yep. And he said, well, if you want to bring me back, I want to be in charge. I want the Doctor to be a woman. And then Michael Grade promptly <laughs> never returned his calls and brought in Sylvester McCoy and let it die a slow death. Um, so it, it has been around for, you know, since 1980. This is not a new idea. And it's, t- it's long overdue. And so, yeah, it's all hopeful. It's all positive energy. And it's all exciting. I can understand... From a, and I'll put in air quotes here, a Tea Party slash conservative Doctor Who fans 
uh, viewpoint in terms of how dare they change the gender. I can understand that to a degree, but it's how you articulate your opinion and thoughts. Engage in conversations about it, but don't let it get personal. Don't start attacking you know, people for having their views. I mean, some of the stuff on, on social media has been quite disgraceful, to be honest. Look, I swear like a trooper, I'll be honest with you. And you know, I know I've got my opinions as well. But um, to some of the vitriol towards her in particular has been, in many cases, offensive. It has been offensive. I've had, you know, people attack me. I've had, you know, people had goes at me just for... I've been trying to keep calm and positive and hopeful. Like uh, one female fan who said she'd been watching the show since day one going, what has feminism got to do with Doctor Who? And I, and I gently mentioned to her, well, there's all these female characters, some of them, who have you know promptly said that they were feminists, like your Sarah Jane Smiths and your and your your Joe Grants and all about you know women's lib and stuff like that. Good old Sarah Jane trying to bring women's lib to Peladon mentioned all the f- strong female characters who tried to bring you know feminism into the show or were brought feminism into the show over its 55 year history, and you know, they kept the show going because of that. And then she goes, "Get out of my face! What do you know? You don't try and get me to change my opinion or what I love about Doctor Who." I'm going. I'm not trying to change your opinion. That's what a lot of these fans are saying. They're going, I'm entitled on my opinion. Nobody's hearing my opinion. Why don't you hear my opinion? And a lot of us are going, we're hearing your opinion. We're not agreeing with it. And that's the thing. We, we don't agree with it. We're not going to change our views, but we're going to let you talk. But you need to acknowledge the fact is you may not be changing your view, but that, the, but that doesn't mean you can change us. We can work together and we can hear each other's view and find a compromise and find a way to accept it and move forward as opposed to just going, you're not hearing me, I'm not being heard, this is unfair, I'm stepping away, I'm being treated badly. That's not helping anyone. That's just a kid in the corner having a tantrum. You gentlemen are both you know, parents and you know exactly what to deal with that. You don't enable them, you don't pamper them, okay? You move forward and they have to you know, move forward as well. There's also this sense of fan entitlement. I've been watching it for this long, how dare they do something like this? It's a PC decision. No, it's not a PC decision. It's a creative decision. And it's a, it is. It's a logical it is. extension of the character. See, when did PC become such a negative term? For me, political correctness means respect. You show respect for someone of a, you know, of a different sex, a different lifestyle choice, a different culture, a different color. PC means respect. I don't know when this became a dirty word. It's about it the same time that uh, Andrew Bolt got a column in the Herald Sun, I think, that it became a dirty word. In some of the UK papers over there, especially the Evening, Evening Standard, which is edited by George Osborne, I tell you what, the stuff in that rag makes uh, Andrew Bolt look like uh, Enid Blyton. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ almighty. No wonder they're giving it away for free. <laughs> hate um, is free, Mark. Hate is free. The hate is going to hate, hate, hate. Yeah, awful. My Rob, what about you? Look, you can only be optimistic, I suppose. It's, it, it, look, it's a, it's a vote of confidence by the BBC in agreeing to uh, cast a, a woman in the lead role. Um, I, I, look, the cynic in me might say it's, a, it's, a, it's some of it. Some of that urges a little bit of desperation to make sure that the show gets a good, you know, kick along for the next few years. But I think at the end of the day, look, as a uh, you know, as a married man with two daughters. I, I can't see this be, be anything other than a positive. Um, we, we're getting a whole new broom through the show. We're getting a new lead. We're getting a new showrunner. We're getting apparently a writer's room, which means that it's not necessarily uh, the you know the, the one vision of one writer. We're getting a sort of a medley of voices coming into the show now, hopefully. And um, look, on that point, while certainly a, a, you know casting a female lead wouldn't have been my first choice, with the advent of the decision and you know having time to sort of think think about it in a in a calm and, and, and reasoned manner. It's not the end of the world. 
as Mark was saying, it is a logical extension of the character's ability to change its, you know, his or her form. I think it can only be a good thing. I mean, you, 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 people rail against this decision. Well, fellas, in three or four years' time, there'll be another Doctor Who along. It's just like a bus, basically, or a taxi cab. So, you know, if you want to stand away from the show for that length of time, it's not that long. Um, you, you'll have your choice of a white middle-aged or in his 30s male again at some time in, in the future. So let those people who, who have embraced this decision, who have embraced the opportunity that the casting of Whitaker presents, um, let them have their time in the sun. And you know what? If you give it a go, you might be pleasantly surprised, but if you, if you, you know, cast yourself out into the outer darkness in a fit of peak... You're out. The only person who's going to be affected by it is yourselves. I showed my son the, the reveal video and you know, watched it and at the end, and he goes, oh, finally, it's a girl. He's 10 years old, right? And I said, would you watch it if it's a, if it's a girl? And he goes, hell yeah. So, so if a 10-year-old can, can get on board, then maybe some over 40s can maybe do the same as well. Well, that's there. There was a tweet about a, a father went and showed the video to his, like, uh, seven-year-old daughter, and, mm. you know, when she's the doctor was a woman she went yes finally and this yes. is the thing you know it's not, it's not just a, a great role model for for young girls because very young girls and old who've grown up to be older you know who've been grown into women who the doctor was their idol and they've been looking forward to this they don't want to just be the ones who go i'm going to be trapped i'm going to go around time and space with a guy who's going to manipulate everything for me or you know navigate there's a lot of people who go, how cool would it be to actually be in the driver's seat to be able to travel through time and space? And, you know, they can, they can get their role model from a male or they can get their role model now from a, from a woman. And boys can actually see, you know, a strong lead as well. Ray has been a great role model for women and, you know, for young girls and, and boys. And this, the, the doctor can do that as well. Because when I was a kid, when I was a boy, all my heroes were, were women. And I'm completely ready and prepared for this. I'm ready. And and so a lot, like, like Mark's son and, you know, so many, you know, young girls and boys all around the world. So jump onto the bandwagon, you grumpy old 40s, 50s-year-old men, men and women. So on that note of positivity, I think it's time we wrapped it up. Rob, thank you very much for joining us once again on the episode. Gentlemen, it is always a pleasure. It's great chatting with you guys. I'm so proud of both of you for embracing the change. And, um, yeah, I'm with her. Now, Rob, before uh, we let you go, do you want to uh, plug your appearance at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Back at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for the second time, taking Who Me back there. I'll be on from the 2nd of August to the 28th of august i'm on every single night at 8 15 uh 27 shows in a row no oh break my god <laughs> yep i'm on at the uh, the the newly renovated rose theater on rose street in newtown of uh, of edinburgh beautiful venue i'm downstairs in the basement i'm in the same venue as uh the great craig ferguson a huge huge doctor who fan so hopefully i get to meet him also ingrid oliver who plays uh osgood He's in Edinburgh doing uh, the Fringe Festival, and there's another Doctor Who show uh, called Any Suggestions, Doctor. It's an impro Doctor Who show. But yes, Who Me will be on there, and everything about Who Me is on my Facebook page. Go to Rob Lloyd Who Me on Facebook for all the details and all the information about that. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Future Robbie. Uh, having issues with my website, so just go to Facebook or uh, Twitter and Instagram, and I'll keep you updated there. I'll be on all of August. Come along if you're in the area. So Scottish listeners and uh, UK listeners, 
get your cans of iron brew and head on down there to see Lloydie in action on with uh, Who Me. It's a great show. We love it. Actually, uh, have you, uh, are you going to update the ending to incorporate the new Doctor? On the actual day that Whitaker was announced, uh, and so like an hour after she announced in my final dance i actually added in something that I just pulled off off the top of my head and the crowd went batshit crazy so i'm keeping that in so yes i have already adjusted the show to include jody whitaker i've added in a slide of her when i've got all the faces of the doctor at the start i've got 14 faces even john hurt um Ooh. and i'm working <laughs> exactly and i'm working on my uh at the start of the show i do a a, a bad stand-up routine which i call five minutes of gold or five minutes of murray gold um and <laughs> or 35 minutes of 42 for doomsday <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm, I've, I've got a gag where i do you know instead of a doctor walks into a bar i do 13 doctors walk into a bar and i'm working on 14 doctors walk into a bar. So I'm working on my uh, Jodie Whittaker 13th Doctor gag as we speak. Might have something to do with, you know, she enters the bar by smashing the uh, the glass ceiling or something like that. We'll see how we go. Or the barman pulls out a cannon and say, which one isn't? <laughs> and on that bombshell, I've been Mark. I've been Rob. And I have also been a very, very proud Rob. <laughs> You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with with you again soon.